My name is Chris, and we get to open up to James today. We are approaching the finish line of the letter of James. So we're in chapter 5. We're about halfway in chapter 5, which is the last final chapter of this letter that James wrote to the church, spread out throughout his part of the world during his day. And so we've been seeing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, Last week, we saw the beginning of chapter 5 that Wade took us through, that James is writing to the wealthy, to the rich and the powerful. And this week, we're going to see that he makes a, he, he kind of turns his head over this way now, and he looks over to those who are poor and powerless, to the oppressed. And sometimes, you know, like when you're driving on the freeway, everyone driving faster than you is a maniac, and everyone driving slower than you is a moron? You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one that feels that way? So sometimes we can get that view, like, in, in our perspective, you know, when we hear talk about the rich, we're like, that's definitely not me, because I know people that got way more than I do. Uh, then we hear we're talking about the poor, and sometimes, if you're like me, we can get this idea, like, yeah, that's definitely me, because I, I need more money, right? And here's the thing about money is you can always have more, and you always will want more. Uh, But the reality is, what I want us to see this morning is what James is saying to each, to the rich and powerful and to the poor and powerless, that us in this room, every single one of us, I am willing to put money on this, no pun intended, that every single one of us can identify with both of those camps in one way or another. And that the things that James is writing to each group has application for all of our lives in both areas, because all of us are blessed beyond measure. All of us had the ability to come here, to drive here in a car with gas in the tank this morning. And yet, all of us have also been in places of need, haven't we? Whether that's financial or not, there, there are lots of different ways to look at what poverty is and what poor and oppression looks like, and it doesn't always have to do with just money. And so I want us to see ourselves in both of these in both of these addresses that James gives, and especially this morning as we look at what it looks like to be the poor and oppressed that James is writing to, and the word that he gives them, he starts with, be patient. Be patient and persevere. And so Wade mentioned that I was gone this week. Some of you who uh, aren't in my initial community, or my DNA group, or in my home, or if you're not Wade, had no idea that I was gone probably this week. <laughs> um, so I, I left Tuesday, came back last night, and I went to Mississippi, Columbus, Mississippi. Had to fly into Birmingham, Alabama, and then drive a couple hours over to Columbus. And uh, it was really cool. It was a great time. We got to speak there to nine different schools, about 4,000 students, uh, which I heard that the city itself is like a city of 3,000 people. So I think like they bus in kids <laughs> from other county areas to the schools. We spoke to more students than people live in the city. Uh, But one of the things we were talking to them about is just your choices and the choices that you make. And my friend Preston, who I go into schools with, as he was sharing during his part of the presentation, he was talking with them about um, the really just this call to don't grow weary of doing good. Now we're in public schools and we gotta be really careful with the language we use, but that's from scripture, don't grow weary of doing good. And so in the context of these public schools, he's saying, listen, the choices that you make, 
they will eventually catch up to you. They will have an impact, either good or bad, but you don't always see it right away because our choices are kind of like a seed, kind of like a seed that you plant in the ground. And no farmer will ever plant a seed in the ground and then wake up the next morning rolling out of bed expecting to go eat some fruit from a tree that sprouted from that seed overnight. The farmer knows that it's going to take time and he needs to be patient for that. And so as he was given this example, I'm sitting there listening, I'm going, that's exactly what we're going through this week, what James writes. James uses the example of a farmer too. And he, he's encouraging them, just like the farmer, to be patient. Now I want to remind us, because we are all the way in James chapter 5, we're getting to the end of why James is writing this. And so if you really quickly with me turn to James chapter 1, after he greets them in verse 1, in verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." When we started this series going through the letter of James, Wade and I pointed out that the whole purpose of James writing this letter is found right there in verse 4. That you would be whole and complete, lacking in nothing, brought to maturity in your faith in Jesus. And so right there what we just read, chapter 1 is a summary of all the things James writes throughout the letter. And right there was the summary of the section we're getting into right now. That your patience, your perseverance, your steadfastness, that is what is being used by God to help bring you to that place of maturity, of wholeness, of completion, of being the humanity that we were originally designed to be. So that's what we're going to be getting into this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you don't, there's some back there on the table or some of these tables sitting around here. But go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. And stand with me too while I read from God's word. We're reading verses 7 through 12. So after addressing the rich in the church, James goes on to say this. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the later rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is God's word. Father, we pray that your spirit would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to be able to receive your word this morning. That we would receive your word not just as a letter written thousands of years ago that doesn't have context or implication for us today, but as your word spoken to us now. 
your people, that we would be transformed by it for your glory, for the good of those who patiently endure with you and love you, for the good of the cities and the communities and the world that you have placed us in amongst. God, we pray that this morning as I am speaking that you would guard my lips from saying anything that is not of you and that is not of your heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Oh God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So, James is talking about patience, particularly for the oppressed. When I was in Mississippi this week, I got to FaceTime with my kids. I got three boys at home. And one of my sons said, Dad, I can't wait until you get back home. And which just, you know, warmed my heart. And I was like, I know, son, I can't wait to get home and see you too. And he goes, yeah, because then we could finish watching that show that we started watching. We had this show on Netflix that we were all watching together as a family. And I was like, oh, so you're not excited for me to get home. You're excited to watch the show. I see. I had to deal with my own uh, impatience this week, too. I had to deal with, especially yesterday, Saturday, as we were coming home. So yesterday, I got up at 6 in the morning, Mississippi time, and we drove two hours to Birmingham. Uh, and then we checked in, returned the rental car, and then we waited an hour. Then we boarded our four-and-a-half-hour flight. Before we boarded that flight, they, while we were standing in line to board, they told us, they made an announcement, hey, the, uh, the front laboratory, the restroom, is not working. So if you need to use the restroom, use it now. Uh, the back one is working, but it's a full flight. It's four and a half hours. There's going to be a line. So I was like, no, I'm good. I don't need to use the restroom. And so we got on the flight, and about 30 minutes into it, I was like, I really need to go use that laboratory. I don't know why it's called a laboratory. But anyway, so I look back, and there's like three people standing there waiting. I was like, all right, I'm just going to wait that out. I'm not going to go stand there. And then I look back, and now there's five people standing there. I was like, okay, great. Then I look back, and there's three. I'm like, okay, cool. I can, I can sit down. This is starting to die down. Then I look back, and now there's like seven people. And so this is going on for a while. And then after a while, the line dies down, and there's like just one person inside of the restroom. I'm like, perfect. So I start to get out. I start unbuckling my seat and putting my tray table up. And then I hear the ding. The captain has put on the safety belt light and has asked that all of you remain seated because we were hitting turbulence. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I sit back down, I buckle in, and I wait 30 minutes to pass through turbulence. And then I look back, and now there's three people waiting in line again. So this went on for a while, right? And then finally, we get there to Las Vegas where we had a layover. And I get off, and we have a three-hour layover in Las Vegas. And there's no good food in Las Vegas airport and we're not going to sit at the slot machines. And so we're just sitting there doing nothing for a while. And then finally we get on that flight, and they have to change the tire while we're sitting on the tarmac before we can leave. So we're waiting more. And then finally that takes off, and we get home, and we're so excited. Like, it's been a long day of travel. It's been a long week of work, and we're excited to get home and see our families. And so we're waiting for our baggage to come out of the carousel, and one of the bags comes out, and the zipper's busted open, and you can see all our stuff inside. I'm like, what just happened? So there's a lady next to me. She goes, hey, if you take it to the baggage uh, person up there, then they will actually give you a new bag. And I was like, cool. 
I'll get a new bag. This one's super old, and I'm not surprised that it broke, but I'm going to get a free bag. So I took it up there, and they're like, no, we can't replace that. It's just the zipper. We're not liable for that. But as I opened it up to show them the zipper, I noticed one of our microphones that we brought with us to do our presentations was gone. I was like, are you kidding me? So then I had to fill out all this paperwork. And like, we don't think that we can replace that for you because we have, we have no assurance that there was ever actually a microphone in there. So, but fill out this paperwork. We'll have corporate contact you. We'll see what we can do. And I just wanted to go home. At that point, I'm like, we literally just bought that microphone right before the trip. It was like $400. And I didn't care at that point. I just wanted to get home. Uh, fortunately, after I left, they called me and said they found the microphone. I got to drive back there Monday to get it but at least it's found. But at this point, I'm like, Jesus, give me patience. Give me patience with this person that I have to deal with because it's not his fault that this happened and he's doing his job. Give me patience. Uh, my wife called me and she's like, where are you? And I told her and she's like, well, what, what are you doing? Didn't you leave right away? Right yeah, you did. <laughs> I was like, what do you think I'm doing? Just like, playing around town. I'm just kidding. She was more gracious than that. But that's how I heard it in the moment. I was like, ugh. And so my patience was being tested. I don't think James is necessarily writing to us about patience when it comes to waiting to watch your favorite TV show or flying, taking a really long trip or waiting in line. All those things, yes. Like We, we are called to be a patient people. But James is actually writing about patience in a much deeper sense. And so if we could, uh, Andy, I have a slide up there with a little picture. If we could try to remember how James's readers, how his hearers of his letter would have been hearing all of this and seeing their worldview at this time, I think it'll give us much more context of what type of patience James is actually talking about. And so we have our six symbols up here where we talk about the true story of the world that we'd mentioned earlier, creation, seeing where God comes down and creates, rebellion, his own creation, mankind chooses not to trust him and turns away from him and chooses to turn to something else instead to satisfy them. That's what that X represents that forward arrow being that God gave them a promise, don't worry, one day I'm going to come and I'm going to fix all this, what you just broke. I'm going to set all things right. And so all of that we could see in our Old Testament Bibles, right? And all of that, the Jewish people of James's time would have seen as what is called the old age. This was the age that was... This, this was a time where man was in rebellion against God and made themselves enemies to God. And what they were waiting for was the fulfillment of that promise where God said, I'll send someone to make everything right. I will send a rescuer. I will send what they called the Messiah. This king who would come and set Israel free and make all things right and establish God's kingdom again, even on earth. And so they were waiting for that point in history to happen where all things would be made right. And this old age right here would pass away and a new age would be ushered in. And so what, what they were expecting is this Messiah coming would make this age no longer. That's why it's called the old age. And usher in a new time. But what we know what happened it didn't quite work like that, did it? We know that Jesus actually 
broke in to even the old age. In fact, I need to move this over. That Jesus broke into the old age. He came into the world, into its brokenness, into all the problems, into all the filth, into all the mess. And Jesus, not only in his death, but also in his rising, in his resurrection, inaugurated the new age. He set into motion the new age. He came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here and now. But the people of God were still experiencing the brokenness of the old age. They were still experiencing the brokenness of the rebellion against God. They were still experiencing, even within their own hearts, this enmity between them and God. And yet, the king himself came bringing the kingdom here and now. And Jesus rose and gave them the spirit. And he gave them another promise. Now, empowered by me, I'm with you to the ends of the age. Empowered by my Holy Spirit, continue living in this new age until it fully grows. Until it fully blossoms. That's why James uses the analogy of farming. That's why Jesus, in fact, uses the analogy of of farming and growth so often. So many times he says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like, and he would say things like, it is like leaven in bread. The leaven's already in there, but you wait and take time for it to cause it to expand and rise. Or he said the kingdom of heaven at the end of Matthew 3 is like a seed. And so the seed is already there and it's been implanted, but it takes time for it to grow and to sprout. And so what James is saying here is, listen, you who are being oppressed in this old age, in the brokenness of this world, I want you to be patient. Patient for what? What does he say, verse seven? Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, for, what does he say? You can say it. It's open book test. For the coming of the Lord, right? Don't be patient for your circumstance to change. Don't be patient for that line to end. Don't be patient for the plane to take off. Don't be patient for your dad to get home so you can finish watching a series of unfortunate events, kids. Be patient because the day of the Lord is coming. He is coming. And right here and now, as a foretaste of that coming, you, the people of this kingdom, who have seen that it's already taken place, the seed has already been planted, but it hasn't yet fully blossomed, you live as a patient people, pointing everyone else to what that will finally look like. That's what James is calling us to, as God's people, patient in him. I know a lot about this, not as a farmer, but as someone who's got a lot of weeds in my backyard. And so we have, uh, in our backyard, we have two fruit trees that we planted, a, a lime tree and a lemon tree. And then we have surrounding that a whole lot of weeds that are getting really, really tall right now. And so I need to go out there, I need to pluck those weeds out of the ground, but they're getting huge and they're overgrowing the trees at this point. They're much bigger than that. And in fact, 
Our MC was over having dinner with us, and I was grilling out in the backyard. And so a couple guys were in the backyard, and one of them was saying how they had to pull weeds at home. And I said, yeah, I got to do that too, as you can see. And he looks at it and goes, oh, that's how big they can get. (laughs) I was like, yeah, yeah, they get that big. (laughs) And so here's, here's what it's like. We live in this time where weeds are also continuing to grow at the same time the kingdom of God is growing. And sometimes weeds grow a lot faster than the good seed. Sometimes it seems like the weeds are choking out the kingdom of God. It seems like they're overpowering. It seems like they're taller and bigger and stronger. But there will come a day where those weeds will get plucked out and they will get discarded and it will be like chaff in the wind just blown away and the seed of the kingdom of God will continue to flourish. That day is coming. James says, hold on, persevere, be patient, brothers and sisters. This is true, this is happening. And so as a kingdom people who know this, who know that the kingdom of God will prevail, not the brokenness of this world, which are the weeds growing, how do we continue to live as patient people pointing to that? And so I, got, I just want to ask a question, and this is, I really want to hear from you. What are some of, as, as people of God, knowing this, called to be a patient people, what are some of the areas of your life where you are just awesome at being patient? Okay, so I'm going to rephrase this question because there's not a lot of conversation going on there. What are some of the areas, as you are living amongst the weeds and the thorns and thistles, where you struggle to be a patient person? It's a fair answer. <laughs> when I wake up till when I go to bed. Amen. Yeah, what else? What are some other areas, some areas of life where that patience is just really, really tested for you? What was it? Toddler. Toddler? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you're supposed to just enjoy every moment and soak it up because it won't last forever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're you are struggling with patience as a parent for like waiting for them to get out of that stage. And then toddlers struggle with patience themselves, right? Because they want everything right now. Yeah. What else? <laughs> he just called you out. Rush hour. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we said at the beginning, right? Everyone driving faster than you is a maniac. Everyone driving slower is a moron. I can say that because I apparently struggle with patience during traffic. What else? Sitting in the unknown. Yeah. Like, God, what's next? God, what are you going to do with my job situation? God, I, I just wish I had this answer right now. What are you doing? What's your plan? What's going on here? Think about 
all the situations in life. Just think about, you could even just look through your last week. This past week. Think about the times you got frustrated or angry. Maybe the, the moments where you made an uh, impetuous decision. Probably wasn't the wisest decision. Maybe the moments where you pacified yourself. Like you turned to food or TV or social media on your phone because you didn't want to just wait and sit in whatever you were feeling in that moment. Every single one of us struggles with this idea of being patient. But especially, most particularly, we struggle with that in moments of hardship, of suffering, of affliction, of trials. And James's original readers and hearers would have been well acquainted with this, even more so than us in 2018 in Peoria, Arizona. But we all experience it too, don't we? We still, every single one of us, have these moments where we're struggling through something. And the temptation is to turn to a quick fix, the fast solution. We want that instant gratification or at least instant appeasement because we don't want to wait through the suffering and through the pain. You know, one of the things we talked about with our high school students in Mississippi this last week is if you're an athlete and you have the option that day after school to go and work out and to strain and stretch and tear your muscles and to push yourself, or you can go home and eat a bowl of ice cream and watch some Netflix, which one sounds better in the moment, right? But which one's going to be better for the athlete in the long run? And that takes patience and perseverance, waiting through what's difficult, knowing that what's better is coming ahead. And so James says... That's not James. James says, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Jesus has come. He has planted the seed of the kingdom. But he's also coming back. He will return. And the kingdom will fully flourish and fully be here. This day is coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. The thing about the farmer is he can put the seed in the ground, but he can't cause it to grow. He can't cause it to rain. He, he can't cause that seed to burst open with life and to sprout and vegetate. God's the one who does that. And so he has to wait patiently. He's not in control. None of us are in control of any area of our life, even when we think we are. You also, verse 8, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. By the way, if you're wondering, I keep saying brothers and sisters when you might just be reading brothers. Uh, it's actually a word used there, kind of like, hey, guys, in our context. Like if we walk into a, a group of people and there's men and women, you say, hey, guys. Like you're not just talking to the guys. It's a, it's a cultural thing there. And so just to clarify that, he's talking to men and women, Okay. So he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What happens when we are in the boiling room, when we are in the middle of something that we don't want to be in, 
and you're getting tense and frustrated, what typically starts to happen is you start turning to one another and the slightest little thing they do irritates you, right? I remember when I was a kid, I was one of six kids. My mom had this super old station wagon and we were driving to Disneyland. I don't know how she could afford it. It was like she spent everything she had to take us to Disneyland. And we were going in this old station wagon and there were all six of us kids plus her, plus my brother's girlfriend. Some people were sitting on laps. It was not safe or legal. And her AC was out the entire trip. And this was June. And so we're driving there and we're in this boiling room and we were not happy. And the slightest little thing my brother would do would just drive me insane. If he was breathing on me. Oh, man. It's like, I want AC right now. and You have hot breath. Get away from me. And then the car broke down three times. Yeah. I was not very patient on that trip. None of us were. And what happened is brothers and sisters started fighting and quarreling and yelling at each other and being upset with one another, even though it really had nothing to do with them. They didn't cause the car to break down. They didn't cause the AC to go out. We were on our way to the happiest place on earth. (laughs) Didn't matter. And so James is saying, listen, you're going through hardships. You're going through trials. And the temptation is you're going to want to turn to the person next to you, to your brother, to your sister, and take it out on them. They don't cause the rain to fall. They don't cause the seed to grow. Remember, they too, just like you, are not in control. You're feeling helpless and out of control, and that's why you want to take it out because you feel like that's how you're going to get control back. But remember the one who is in control instead. And so he gives us two examples of how to remember who's in control. Verse 10, he says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have also heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we have two examples there of in the midst of hard times, remembering who's in control and being patient because of that. First, the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, and second, this man, Job. There's a whole book written about him in the Old Testament. And so the prophets were people in a day and age, in the old age, where everything's broken and nobody's listening to God, who God would speak to them and give them his word and say, go and take this to the people now. Oftentimes it was go and tell them where they need to stop believing lies of your culture and turn back to me and believe in my truth. And so these prophets would go and they would, they would say what God told them to say and most of the time they felt like they were just alone. Like nobody else was listening to them or saying the word of the Lord. And so what they would have to be comforted in and console themselves with is the very word of God. Their companion was God himself. And so James is saying and encouraging, listen, in a time where the old age age is still present, where weeds are sprouting up around you like crazy, remember who's really in control and place your trust, place your hope, place your faith and your perseverance in the Lord. Be consoled by him. Be comforted by him. 
Let your companion be his word because his word is true and it is trustworthy. And likewise, remember Job? Do you remember Job was a man who God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job who was blameless? Like, wouldn't you love for God to brag about you that way? No. Because what happens to Job next? Have you considered my servant Job who's blameless? Oh, yeah, well, he's only, he's only following you, God, because you've given him so much. Take all that stuff away from him, then see what happens. Okay. He can go out, take from Job. Everything was taken from Job. Everything. All of his stuff, all of his money, his family, all of his children die. And at one point, his wife says, just curse God and die already. His friends, his own body starts to fail him. He's afflicted with boils all over his skin. And in such suffering and pain, Job complains, don't get me wrong. Right? We know Job complains. But who does he go to? He knows who's still in control. He doesn't want to lose his faith in who God is. He doesn't want to lose sight of who's really running the show here. He doesn't go, Satan, how could you do this to me? He goes, God, why are you letting this happen to me? And listen, here's the thing. God can handle your questions. God can handle your concerns. As long as you direct it to him, knowing that he's the one who's in control, even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of your pain. What are you suffering through right now? Unmet bills? Relationships at home? Wondering what's going to happen with your job? Illness, disease? And who are you turning to in the midst of that? Who is in control through all of that? And so Job, Job continues to look to God as the one who's over all of those things. And because of that, God blesses Job. God gives him back way more than he had before that. And we read the story of Job and we go, man, like that's, that's what we're holding out for, right? Like, hey, don't worry that you didn't get that job. God's got you. You got a better job coming on the way. And that's the way we talk to one another. But listen, that's not what the story of Job is supposed to instill in us. They're like, hey, if you can just persevere through this week, though it's hard, next week God's going to bless you with more money and a better car. no. No, the reward that is waiting for us is the coming of the Lord. That's what James says. The reward that is coming for us who are patient and persevere even through the trials and the struggles and the hardship and the broken relationships and the death and the illness of loved ones is that Jesus is returning and his kingdom has been established and it will reign forever and the weeds will get plucked away. That is what we hold on to and persevere for. James tells us, remember Job. Remember what we're really placing our hope in. 
And the reason that the prophets and Job were able to do this was because God himself was patient with them. Think about it. God comes to Job, even when Job is complaining, and he listens and he answers. And he also corrects him. But he's patient with him. And he loves him. 2 Peter 3.15 tells us that God's patience or steadfastness for us is our salvation. My kids ask me a lot of times, like, Dad, how come God doesn't just, how come Jesus doesn't just come back now? How come God didn't just set everything right back at the beginning? Like, you remember that, that first down arrow of creation, everything was good, God came down, he was with his people, and then that X is rebellion, people turned away from him and didn't trust him. And God gives the promise, I'm gonna set everything right. Like, Dad, why didn't he just make everything right right away? Because he is patient so that you would be saved. God patiently waits for thousands of years before he even comes to Abraham and calls him and says, I will bless you to be a blessing. I will invite the nations into my goodness because of you. He patiently endures through Abraham and all of his descendants turning away and failing time after time. He patiently endures as he has his prophets go out and speak the word and nobody listens and at times even his prophets don't listen to him. He patiently waits 400 years while they're enslaved in Egypt and then he comes and rescues them. And then 40 days they're wandering in the wilderness and then he brings them into the promised land. And they keep turning away from him, turning away from him. What if God just came then? Israel would have been found unfaithful. Israel would not have been saved. When my older boys are saying, are, are getting hit by their younger brother, because that happens a lot, and they want justice, they come and say, Dad, can you help us? I got a deal with the one inflicting the pain in order to save those who are being hurt by it. But the problem is when we're the ones inflicting the pain too, God's got to deal with that. His justice and his salvation have to go hand in hand. In order for him to save the world from the problem, he's got to fix the problem. And we're the problem because we've rebelled against him. Because out of our lack of patience, we've turned to all these other things to satisfy us over him. And so God patiently waits. And he waits that more would turn to him and more would trust him. And so then there's a 400-year period where he doesn't even speak to those prophets James talked about. And then finally Jesus comes and he lives a life of obscurity for 30 years. He waits, walking this broken, messed up world. And then three years where he patiently takes his disciples along with him throughout life, day in and day out. And then he goes to the cross to accomplish the very thing that was promised to us, to pay that penalty that we are owed as rebels against God, as enemies of God who deserve death. Jesus takes that death for us. And then he waits three days before the Spirit raises him from the tomb. And then 40 more days before Jesus gives the promised gift of the Holy Spirit to his followers, to his church. And then he says, wait again still 
because I'm coming back. But remember, I am with you still. My spirit I give to you. This is how you will wait patiently because I'm a patient God and you are empowered by me to be my patient people. I have a brother who has the same mom as I do, different dad. And he had a rough, rough upbringing. Dad wasn't around. He was a drug dealer. Uh, my mom was working three jobs most of the time. My brothers and I were at our dad's a lot. And so during this time, my, my younger brother and our sister were just kind of at home in the trailer park, running free, doing whatever they could. And no supervision, no discipline. But there is this emptiness there. Like, I don't have my dad here. I don't have my mom around. And so in order to deal with that, he self-medicated. By the time he was 11 years old, he was a full-blown meth addict. Because what my brother did was instead of patiently enduring through the trials and the hardships of life, knowing that there is something better coming, he said, what's that instant gratification? What's that quick fix right now? And then what my brother started doing is he would do whatever it took to get that quick fix in the moment. And this is why James makes this weird leap here all of a sudden as we close with this. Verse 12, he says, But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Why is James talking about patience? And then all of a sudden he goes, but here, more important than all of that, make sure you're being honest. Like what does it have to do with anything? There's a quote by N.T. Wright that says, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. You become what you worship. So my brother, instead of patiently waiting and enduring for the coming of what is the most glorious and steadfast and stable hope anyone could place their trust in. He then placed his trust and his hope and his satisfaction in something very wavering. That when you're high, you're high, and when you're low, you're low. And he wrestled through that for a long time until he finally got some help and got clean. But he, during that time, would do whatever it took to get it. And so he became just like that thing he placed his hope in. Very unstable, very wavering, and he would say whatever he had to say to get what he needed in that moment. And so he would lie, he would steal, he would cheat. And James is saying, you, remember the prophets and Job? They knew who was in control, and they trusted, even when things were hard, that God's word was true that what he said was coming about, that God promised he would bring the restoration of his creation and they placed their hope in the fact that God was truthful. And so because of that, when you place your hope and your worship in him, you become like him too. That you too, even in the midst of struggling, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of trials, you too can know that because God's word is true, you start to take that characteristic on and you too 
will speak what is true. Someone who is a fractured person, who doesn't have a hope in something stable, becomes frantic. They become like a leaf blowing in the wind, being tossed to and fro. They're filled with anxiety. They're always wondering what's next, and they're always doing whatever they have to to make something work for them in that moment. But someone who can stand on the firm foundation and the steady rock of Christ, who knows that the word of God is true, his yes is yes, and his no is no. What he said will happen and he will do will in fact happen. He will do it. Can even in the midst of the wind and the waves and the weeds growing up all around them, stand firm and be a trustworthy person. Recognizing that what you swear by doesn't even belong to you anyway. God's the one who's in control. He holds it all. All we are at that point are signposts pointing to him who is true. We become witnesses. James is simply quoting what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, and he says, I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, why? Because it is the throne of God. Or by the earth, why? Because it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. And don't even take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your yes simply be yes, and your no be no. Who is in control? Who causes your hair to grow, to turn white, to fall out in some cases? Who causes the rain to fall and the seed to sprout? We have nothing to swear by, but we have everything to place our hope in. Let's pray.